seriously, do we do we have to be so cliche and use Monty Python jokes? Jeez. I don't know. Hide! Cut that out! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. That having been said, this is episode 63 of Pie Factory Podcast, the Pie Factory Podcast. I am your loving, charming, and ever so effervescent host, Sean, coming to you from the north side of Chicago at Pie Factory Headquarters North. Now you get to talk. Wow. Thank you so very much, he says as he rolls his eyes, which works really good on an audio show. And this is your congenital co-host, Jimmy G. From uh, where? Uh, People don't really want to know that about me now, do they? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, but if you have to know, I am in... Well, no, I'm not technically in Morris, Illinois. I'm just south of Morris, Illinois, although they just annexed the land south of the river, so I guess Morris does go south of the river, but I am unincorporated Grundy County in Waponsee uh-huh. Township. So there we go. In unico- unincorporated huh, Grundy County, Waponsee Township, this is Jimmy G. And for, oh wait, I already said uh, who I am. And, yeah, and you're hosting, Wednesday. so you went first. I already said who and whence I am. So uh, yeah, I guess that. So um, I really don't know what else to say right now because I'm so freaking spent. Spent, And huh? um, so, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel like... Well, no, I'm not going to say it because I don't really know what I was going to say anyway. So uh, feel like duty? F- no, it has nothing to do with that. It's I no, no. Although that that does sound like fun, but um, I I don't know. Uh, heck, let's just get right down to it. Uh, Jimmy G, have you um, done anything interesting in the last couple of weeks, like gaming related or almost gaming related? Nah, actually, yeah. Other than the typical playing games for tonight's episode, which I actually played a little... Uh, I mean, One thing I've been doing a little bit more lately is if I have a version of a game for any of my consoles, uh, I've been firing up um, you know, <laughs> said consoles to uh, to take a look at some of the, uh, the different ports of some of the games that we're talking about. And uh, some really interesting uh, stuff about some of the games we're talking about tonight that I've uh, discovered. And... Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll get more to that later. But uh, finally figured out what was wrong with the Mateos cart that I was so generously uh, given to uh, a bunch of fans of the sh- um, <clears throat> that I was generously given by friends of the show. That's uh, interesting. You were correct. That really is interesting. Oh, well, there you are. So uh, I figured out uh, what was wrong with it. Uh, it was the uh, USB cable I was using the pl- to plug the Mateos burner into my PC. I figured that was the only thing left to do besides uh, that would be that would cost little money. So I went out and I bought a uh, a new uh, mini um, USB cord, which those are not readily available as I yeah, thought Yeah, everybody's would. going to micro these days. Yeah, and so I had to go to uh, Vest Guy in uh, Joliet to pick one up, and they only had like three in stock, so after work tomorrow I'm going to hit uh, Vest Guy and um, pick up the uh, the other couple that they had there, because Jeez, I I've a, got uses for them. I have a ton of them. I, I, had a, I had a whole bunch of them, and I don't know what the heck happened to them all. You I, have women in your house. It's they probably made, were made into some kind of craft project. No, it has nothing to do with it. I think it's I have so many cables for 
computers and audio equipment and what lying around that they probably got packed up in one of those boxes. But because, uh, you know, every time you get one of those uh, portable uh, at games systems, it comes with a, um, a, a mini USB cable to charge it up with. And uh, some digital cameras have that, although most of them nowadays are micro. Uh, then I've got an SD card reader um, thing that uh, uses the uh, the mini and not the micro. And But I don't know where they all went, so I'm going to go pick up a couple of more. Or, you know what, maybe better yet, I'll look on Amazon and see if I can't get some more less expensive. But, Ooh, that um, is better yet. But yeah, I, uh, I loaded a, a micro, uh, micro SD card from... My, one of my uh, from my action cam in uh, into my SD card reader and I used that cable that I suspected was bad uh, and plugged it into my computer and when I streamed the video directly from the SD card uh, it was uh, the video was glitching out quite frequently uh, I put the mm. other cable on no glitches so yeah it's the cable <laughs> so I got that working and go. I've been I've been having some fun with the Mateo's cart when I haven't been, uh, you know, busy doing nothing. And uh, what else has happened? Uh, I haven't really... I did a big birthday ride on the 11th of September. That would have been eight days ago and uh, from this recording. And um, actually it would have been that weekend, not the 11th, which was a Monday. It was the 9th and 10th. I rode uh, my bicycle up the Fox River Trail from Oswego to Algonquin, and then back next day, total of 84 miles for the weekend. And on the way up, I, uh, the Fox River Trail goes a, uh, one block from Underground Retrocade, so of course I had to stop in and play some of games. Course. And uh, I beat your uh, high score on Frenzy. So uh, I, I you were that. posting some pretty interesting videos from your birthday ride. Yeah, well, I haven't posted well, well on Facebook. I did. Um, I actually yeah. have more video off of my camera. I haven't done anything with because yeah, you gotta you gotta organize that stuff and make it like all in one place. I really want to see what, what. Yeah, I I keep meaning to do that, but I'm think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do that when I get this other video uploaded. But oh yeah, and um, a bike ride that I took back in uh, August on August twentieth, I uploaded to YouTube in the second it uh, processed. I got struck with a DMCA uh, takedown notice immediately because it detected a song in the background from when I was riding my bicycle. And I am not going to take the song out because then it would take out my commentary on the ride. And on top of that, you would have to, like, read... If you had the volume turned all the way up on your speakers, on your computer, or on your headphones, earbuds, what have you, you would still have to, like, listen really, 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 really close to hear the song at all. But... Uh, yeah, I, I... And something similar with... Twin Galaxies when I submitted my Turbo Junior score. Uh-huh. It was a couple of years ago, I think now. And um, I noticed that they had this rule in effect that said if you have any copyrighted music in your video submission, you will be banned for life. Really? It's like, whoa. And the thing is, like, the video was taken in Underground Retrocade. Scott always has something going on, which is one th- one reason I love that place so much. There's always like a, a, a movie or a Starcade or 80s music on the PA system, I think there, were, I think you could hear Prince in the background. It was, it was very, very, very faint, but if you like tried really hard, you could make it out. So I was like, Oh my God, am I going to get banned on my first submission so far? And uh, so I was like, Oh man. And I actually pointed it out and someone else said, you know what? We really need to, we really need to take that rule off the board 
because they, they explain that uh, it's more like if you intentionally put music in your video as right. background music. But like like background like some ambience. People like ha- yeah. Background ambience okay. Yeah, like if it's not if it's something beyond your control. But, it's like, but like if you're I'm obviously playing frenzy and now you're hearing yeah. the latest from the Talking Heads sort of yeah. sort of thing. That's something yeah, because else entirely. Because they're, they're they're like yeah, there are a lot of people who insist on putting music on when they play, and they they have this rule that says if you absolutely must have music on while you play, then mute the sound before you upload it. I um, I know a couple of times when I was out on my bicycle and music would come on, I would uh, I was making commentary. I would sing my own anti DMCA uh, lyrics to it. And uh, oh, by the way, <clears throat> Time Warner, screw you in the ass with a chainsaw. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, yeah, that, yeah. And uh, let me add my own little threat to you, uh, Time Warner, pumping the monster. <laughs> oh, Monster was the title of an REM album. Oh, that's true. I don't think they were Time Warner though. I could be wrong on that. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember what label they they were on. But uh, okay, yeah, I gotta um, look that up now. You see, the, my solution to that is if I'm listening to something while I'm on my bike, it's usually a podcast. Uh huh. It's like if you ever watch any bike videos that I post, you always oh, oh, hear oh, like oh, Super oh, oh. Podcast Brothers or something. Monster was released by Warner Brothers. Oh, so it's even more relevant. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. <laughs> pumping the monster and screw time Warner in the ass with a chainsaw is very relevant. Yes. Yeah. While you were riding back on that Sunday, I actually spent some time at Galloping Ghost, mainly to play one of the games that we're talking about uh, for this episode. And uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I was only there like a a couple hours, but I had a freaking great time. I really did. It's like every, everybody there was so cool. I finally played Cubert's cubes. Oh man. I finally played it and I loved it. I, I played like two or three games and right in the middle of the game, James white comes up to me and say, like, Oh yeah, let me show you. How. I was like, ah, <laughs> he scared the crap out of me. Oh, speaking of, um, underground retrocade, we forgot something. Did we? Their fifth anniversary. I was about to get to that. Oh, you were okay. Uh, but that. we forgot <laughs> to mention the previous episode. Oh, okay. And wait. but yeah, I mean, I had a good time at Underground. Or at, well, yeah, I did have a good time at Underground, but I also had a good time at Galloping Ghost. Played a few uh, games I didn't get to play. I played Reactor too. For the man, that game is hard. That's it's, a fun it's game. One of those hard but fun games. Yeah, it's, it's a, um, it, it, I guess I can understand why it never really set the arcades on fire, because I mean, it's. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't look attractive. It doesn't have like. Oh, I you know, disagree. Well, but I'm saying I'm 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 not talking about my personal opinion. I'm just talking about it from like a, a mass appeal. There's there's just something not mass appealing about it. But it is a great game, and the uh, the music for Reactor is some of the best music in the arcade. But it, that is something. It really is. And we will definitely get to that at some point in the near future, because that is a, definitely a game that we want to talk about. And it is on our list. We just haven't themed it with anything yeah. yet. So. Yeah. And uh, just because something isn't on our list doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it, by the way. No, that's true. And, we're uh, what else to, to oh, oh, oh yeah. And something else that was really cool. Uh, the Thursday before that, something uh, that Galloping Ghost does every Thursday at around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock maybe, they post... Two trivia questions. Uh-huh. And if you're the first to answer one of them, you get a prize. And three seconds after they posted it, I chimed in and I 
I, I commented on the post on Facebook and with uh, the, the question was, uh, who were five developers and designers who have appeared at various developer days at the Galloping Ghost Arcade? And I said, Eugene Jarvis, uh, King Henry VIII, King Edward III, Larry DeMar, and uh, George Petro. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I don't remember what the other question was, but uh, but uh, the the two people who got them right first, including myself, got called out on it and said, next time you're at Galloping Ghost, come pick up your prize. Oh, nice. So Sunday when I went there, the guy who was working behind the counter, I think he's the only guy there I don't know his name, a really young guy with glasses and dark hair. Thin? Uh, they're all thin there. No, they're not. Well, okay. Well, Pete Pete Hahn isn't really skinny, but uh, everybody else there is pretty damn thin. But I, I think I know that he's he's. You were saying he's got like kind of long hair. Is he kind of tall or average? Not height really. Or, no, average height. No, maybe? he doesn't have long hair either. Okay, I must be thinking of someone else then. But but yeah, and I, I said I said, hey, while I'm here, I um I want to pick up whatever my prize is. I don't know what it is, and he's like, oh, honest to God, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. I think what he did was he texted Doc. Uh huh. And then Doc showed up, and he's in, and talked to him, and he called me over, and he said, okay, your prize is either a T-shirt or a day pass. I was like, sweet. So I took a day pass because I already have a T-shirt. T-shirt. You know? <laughs> so cool. By ne- next time I go to Galloping Ghost, it's going to be free. Woohoo! So That's the that was, second that prize cool. you've won from Galloping Ghost. That's right. That's right. You the won other the thing Cubert w- Marquee. The Cubert Marquee, yeah. It was a, a raffle. Like It was last summer. When they had uh, the all pink version of tour- Turbo Miz Pac Man that was touring the arcades. Yes, I wish I would have seen that. That's interesting because yeah. that was that was a uh, that was a like a breast cancer thing, wasn't it? Yes. Fundraiser. Yeah. The deal. The deal was if if you played it, they wanted you to make a donation, like any amount, which I did. And they said, "Okay, here, here, fill this out and uh, put your email address on it." And I got a message from Doc like about a month later. He said, "Hey, we pulled your name, so." There we go. So he took a picture of me accepting it because he wanted to put it up, but he never did anything with it, which um, those of you who've never seen what I look like, I totally don't blame Doc at all <laughs> for not using it. So, Is it just me or is, is, is Doc like the coolest cat? You know? You I know, know what, what you mean. I know what you mean. He's, he's got yeah. kind of like this. I, I've, I've described him as like, you know, the, the arcade is like his circus and he's the ringleader. But in all reality, he's just like this, he's just like a cool customer, you know, like fun to be yeah. around and just in control seeming sort of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's what I did the Sunday you were heading back. And then the following Sunday, which was two days prior to this recording, the entire weekend prior to this recording, the weekend of September, whatever day, September. 17th was this last Sunday. Yeah, 16th, 17th. It was Underground Retrocade's fifth anniversary. They first opened actually earlier in 2012, I think. And in 2013, they opened at their current location on September 13th. So You were saying the reason they, uh, they were actually just on the other side of the Fox River from their current location, maybe a block away, but they were literally right on the river. And you were saying that yeah. uh, they got flooded out? And I'm and yeah. looking at the location, I'm just kind of, either the river was really, really high or they had games on the lower bad. high, or games on the lower floor, I mean. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And I know that Scott had actually, like, he knew that it was about to come, so he actually... And the, I guess he had he had some games in the basement that he was working on for fixing purposes and stuff ready to bring up. And before the storm hit, he actually, I think, put them up on risers so they wouldn't get wet. But the flooding was that bad that he lost a few machines. In oh, there. wow. And 
and I remember saying, please tell me to junior Pac-Man turbo isn't one of them. And he's like, don't worry. It's safe. So <laughs> he didn't, did he lose anything on the top floor? Or was it just stuff on the bottom floor? I, th- I think it was just in the basement. That, uh, okay. Well, that like, makes you, sense. You, then. You, you've never been to the, to the uh, previous location, but no, I've I don't never f- been in it. But when we go to that, uh, that van's place, we walk by it all the time. And I was yeah. just curious about that. Yeah. And, um, it's a good thing he moved to a different place. Cause I don't think he'd have enough room, Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, the, uh, yeah, they only had one floor for the, for public access. And I think the basement was just like a workshop. Okay. So I, th- I, was wondering I about think that. that's what, that's what it was. But, um, so yeah, I, uh, my wife and I had plans for Saturday, so I didn't go to the, go to the retrocade until Sunday. Um, and, and, and why did you have plans? I don't remember. Hmm. I really don't remember. Not, there was something really, that my uh, wife and I were doing. Uh, happy anniversary. <clears throat> no, no, seriously, that had nothing to do with it. Oh, really? Because our, our anniversary was like Monday. Oh. Our, like, so we, I'm, oh, I'm not going to get into that right now because we're a video game podcast, yeah. not a. Well, still, like, it's your anniversary. Podcast. Happy yeah. anniversary. Well, thank you very yeah. much. You're, it, you're it actually, actually two years pretty... behind me, which I couldn't remember, yeah. which I didn't remember actually. <laughs> But Sunday, Sunday, well, my, my wife is is uh, training to become a yoga teacher, actually. Okay. And and she had to go to her training all day Sunday. She said, you know what? That'd probably be a good day for you to go to uh, Underground Retrocade, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, so I Oh, no, went don't twist my arm. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And I love telling this story, speaking of which, when we were trying to arrange uh, to interview King Henry VIII. And he was uh, working on getting a meeting room for us at the game refuge office. Mm-hmm. And he emailed us and he said, you know what, guys? I'm sorry. I couldn't get a meeting room. Can we just meet at Galloping Ghost instead? It's like, okay, if we must meet at an arcade. And um, Underground Retrocade was running a tournament, a pro-am tournament for uh, on gravity-based games. And Cosmotrons, I don't know if we've ever mentioned Cosmotrons yet on this podcast, but it's a brand new vector game that uh, I saw faintly at Midwest Gaming Classic, and it looked really amazing, but I still have not actually gotten a chance to play it. The developers were supposed to be at Underground Retrocade Friday and Saturday to uh, demonstrate Cosmotrons, but for whatever reason, they weren't able to make it. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be part of the tournament. So that wasn't part of the tournament, but for the tournament, you had to play five games. Uh, you had to play Joust, Choplifter. Oh, 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 oh! What's that game that I really hate? Lunar Lander. Um, Lunar Lander. Lunar Lander. Um, Donkey Kong Three. Okay, yeah, I could see that. And Gravitar for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, which Ferg just recently did an episode of on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Game by Game podcast. And Scott told me that that was what influenced him to include that game in the. Tournament. I like the Twenty Six Hundred version of Gravitar. Hard as hell, but. That was the first time I ever played it, and I loved it. Hard as hell game, but uh, I, I actually I bought my copy of Gravatar uh, back when Radio Shack, yes, kids, there was a store called Radio Shack, uh, when they had that catalog in the back of the store, and I ordered a copy of Gravatar through that. Oh, and, geez, I just looked up at my 2600 collection. I see I have a CIB Redbox version of, Gla- of Gravatar, so I've had it all along, and I just haven't fired it up yet. I have a, I be- Do I have a silver label? Oh, I'm, man, silver labels are hard to find. I think I have a silver label. Wow. Yeah, I got the red. I think, I'll, you know what, I have to double check that. I don't know. So, yeah, it was uh, Gravatar in the 2600, and and uh, 
the controller on Underground Retrocade's Atari 2600, it's a like rebuilt CX40 with micro switches from Best Electronics. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's really? it's really great. It really is. Huh. Fascinating, Captain. Yeah, I just might look into getting one sometime. And uh, so so Duke and I walk in. Scott says, hey, you guys going to participate in the tournament? And I saw that Joust was on the list. I was like, no way in hell, because I know Jason Latko would probably be participating. And he's one of these, like, Joust superior beings, basically. He will get, like, multi-million scores on that, like, blindfolded. Hmm. So I was like, no way. He said, well, why don't you enter the amateur division then? <laughs> so I was like, okay. And um, Jamie Tibbetts won the pro division. I saw uh, that he scored like what, like over 800,000 on DK3. I only got like 127,000 on that. And the amateur division was, oh, yeah, this guy talking right now. He won the amateur division. So, <laughs> hey, don't know what my prize is. I'm going to find out next time I'm at the Retrocade. I'm trying to remember what all uh, what all I added to my Orcade uh, when I was at the Retrocade. I know I put three scores on there and a couple of uh, a couple of bests. Actually, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the law of diminishing returns is like I'm finding that I'm plateauing in a lot of games. So the more I go there, the less I'm submitting for Orcade.com because I'm not improving as much as I used to. <laughs> But uh, I took a visit to Club Fifty Million while I was uh, at the Retrocade too. So the that Fifty was Million Mile High Club, huh? That's right. Fifty. Well, th- that's a little term that some of us use at Underground Retrocade when we talk about Bugs Bunny's birthday ball, the pinball machine. We call it Club Fifty Million if you reach the fifty million point jackpot, and I did for the fourth time, I think. So that was really cool. As far as anybody can tell, the little light that you have to activate for the 50 million bonus, it comes on randomly during your last ball. Uh-huh. So it's uh, kind of hit and miss, hit or miss with that. But uh, Underground Retrocade has always had a great time. Um, oh, and um, there's a couple of things we should mention. Uh, not exactly uh, good news at all, actually. Uh, oh, Something we forgot to mention last time is, uh, and the reason that I have to say this is just to show how important it is that you support your local arcades. If you have an arcade within a reasonable drive of where you live, please go to it and support it. I found out that uh, Arcade Lancaster in Pennsylvania closed um, a couple of weeks ago. No. No, actually, it was just a few days ago, actually. It closed after not even a year. They opened November 4th last year. And they offered up their entire collection, which included 12 arcade cabinets, a change machine, and tokens. They offered it up for sale. Uh, The plan was that if there was anything that didn't get sold by September 17th, which was two days ago from when we were recording this, that would go up for auction. So that was kind of a bummer reading about that. Also, I follow Richie Knuckles on um, Facebook, and he said something like, he's like, I have to make a really bad announcement in a few days. He said, I really, really hate what I'm about to say, but I have to make a really sad announcement. And I was like, oh, God, no. But, yeah, it turns out that at the end of the month, at the end of September, Richie Knuckles Arcade is closing, hopefully just temporarily, though. Why is that? Why is it closing? I think there's some kind of a landlord dispute with uh, the uh, new owners of the plaza where Richie Knuckles Arcade is uh located right now he's selling off some things like arcade marquees and things 
but I do believe he's looking to reopen in a new location. So I hope that happens before too long. Well, I hope so too, because sounds like he had a, a, a kick-ass arcade, even though I've never been out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And not only have I never been to Richie Knuckles, I've never been to Flemington and I lived in New Jersey for eight years. I've been everywhere but Flemington, I think. Hmm. Well, would you want to go to Flemington? Well, I keep mentioning, I said, oh, one of these I say I, I keep I keep saying to my wife, hey, one of these days when we're out there, because we go there at least once a year. And I say, I want to go I want to go to Flemington and check out Richie Knuckles. She's like, oh, okay, well, while you're doing that, there's a good outlet mall over there. I can go, I can hang out there for a while. So I, I don't know, I guess they have that going for them in Flemington. But yeah, uh, Richie, uh, hope, you find, hope you find a solution pretty soon. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it seems like, we, like I said, we, I mean, we haven't been out there, but we've been talking about the possibility of doing a road trip or something out to New Jersey just to check you out, but... Uh, you know, we hope we hope you get back up on get back up and going because you are one of the major players in uh, the United States uh, arcade scene. Oh yeah, uh, yeah without a time. doubt. I mean, we talk about you know Pixel Blast and Underground Retrocade and of course Galloping Ghost because we're in Chicago. But I mean, there's plenty of other places that have added to the the national scene, and you're definitely up there in like the top five of the arcades i would probably even go as far to say top three uh you know when it comes to importance in the united states so man we we hate to see this information come through but uh we're sure that you'll get uh, you'll get a, a a good place and a uh better place yeah meanwhile if you need to get your arcade fixes in jersey there are still some other places uh while richie looks for a new place there's uh Yestercades in Somerville and Red Bank. I've been to the one in Red Bank, I think, three times. And there's Silver Ball in Asbury Park, which is primarily pinball machines, but there's also a pretty decent selection of uh, arcade video games. I recommend that place. Uh, there are there there is a little bit of shadiness over there in terms of how they take care of things, but it's still I I would absolutely recommend it. Listen to one of the early uh, Pie Factory episodes for the obligatory uh, Silver Ball joke. From That's Soho the... down to Brighton, that joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I think that's all That's all the bad news that we have right now. Uh, there is some feedback that we got. Um, hey, real real uh, quick, that... didn't, when did Galloping Ghost have their seventh? Did they have that since oh, we last recorded? Oh, they did. I think it was back in August. Was it? Did we mention yeah. that? I don't, I don't think so. Good night. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's mention it anyway. You know what? While we were having while we were having that, I think that that's when we had the uh, King Edward the Third episode. Oh, you know what? I think so. You're right. That might that might explain it right yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, Galloping Ghost has been open for seven years now. Um, I remember when I when when uh, I went there for the first time. It was uh, it was still a pretty good sized arcade, and uh, oh yeah, it's actually, always been huge. Yeah, and they had a room with uh, with like a couch and like console gaming area and that. But uh, they got rid of that. They expanded up the wazoo. They expanded so much that they moved their offices like two blocks down to another yeah. facility, and um, uh, conveniently located uh, uh, about half a block from the uh, the uh, Dunkin' Donuts, by the way, and um, and across the street from Tony's, which is a great little. Like dinery type restaurant, uh, love that place so much. The only problem is the there's it's a busy road and the red light is about like still like a block and a half away. So yeah, Ogden Avenue, run fast or walk down to the red light. Ogden Avenue was like the 
at one time the uh, western entrance into Chicago before the interstates and that, and it's still pretty yeah. damn busy because it's a major thoroughfare. But, but yes, but um, it was uh, it wasn't huge by any means, and well, I mean it was big, but. When I say I was it, impressed. It, it wasn't huge, I keep thinking of what it is uh, today. Today it's huge. Compared to today, it was tiny. It was still big, big, but compar- comparatively speaking, I mean, he's come a long way. L- l- that's what I'm trying to say in oh, sort yeah, of a, yeah. in sort of a glib manner, I guess. But yeah. he he's come a long way, and uh, wow, and yeah, no, wow. I just remember what my first memory of Galloping Ghost ever. I remember, I think it was 2011. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2011, actually. And I was watching WGN Morning News, and uh, there they had they had some of their people over at a place in Algonquin called No Limit Arcade, and that was the first I knew of any such place to exist anywhere in the Chicago area. So I remember I I sent you an email or something. I was like, hey, we got to check this place out. Mm-hmm. And I remember you and your daughter came up. Met at my place, and then we rode from here to Algonquin to get there. And then I remember when we were leaving, you said, you know what? We should have gone to that place in Brookfield. And I said, wait, what place in Brookfield? Yeah, I had heard about that. Brookfield is like next door, practically. (laughs) It's like, what? You made me go all the way up to freaking Algonquin, and we could have just gone to Brookfield? Were you? I I remember the first time I went to Galloping Ghost, I think it was... um I gathered a bunch of friends together for my birthday. Were you in yes. on that? Okay. Yes, I was. I, that was my suggestion. Okay. I, w- I, I couldn't remember because I knew uh, Dr. Frederick Q. Armageddon joined us, and uh, we had dinner yes. at the, uh, the casino um, at the Rivers Casino, the Rivers casino in uh, right by O'Hare Airport. There, which their buffet is really good. That was really good. My wife and I were both very pleased with it. Yeah, and um, I, I don't remember why did we go. Oh, yeah, because I had uh, gotten a free coupon because I met uh, one of my. Uh, <clears throat> libertarian friends and uh he was in town for uh, a porn convention not joking he was a webmaster for a porn company and um hey i um, almost got a job working on a website for for a well yeah i wouldn't go so far, so far as to call it porn but the recruiter told me if you work for them you're gonna have to look at pictures of naked women are you okay with that oh twist my arm um but so he we went there and we didn't know it that they were giving away uh, free coupons for uh, they were giving coupons away for free buffet for every buffet you bought. And so he's like, I'm not coming back to Chicago anytime soon. You want this coupon? I'm like, sure. And uh, that's why we chose the uh, Rivers Casino. It was a good choice. It's a really good buffet. I haven't been there in a while. I need to go back. It was um, it was like, what, 20, 25 bucks. But it was uh, it was worth it. I won't gamble there. <laughs> I, actually, well, I won't no. gamble anymore. But... Uh, yeah. You gotta have money to gamble first, right? Well, yeah, you do. That's what first I tell people. It's like, well, the little money I have, I'd rather just keep. You know? Yeah. <laughs> my dad once. I remember way back in the, the days when I was in the, into arcades, and him and my and him and my mom would go to Vegas like every other year. I would play the video games. I go, video games are just like gambling. The only difference is there's no chance of winning. And I'm like, that's kind of like a casino too. <laughs> Yeah, right. The only difference is a casino costs more. At least I'm having fun. So there's one piece of feedback we got um, some time ago, actually, and I just wanted to address it. It was uh, basically somebody who was, there was somebody who, I I don't know if he actually listens, but he was, I know who it was. 
but um, I'm just going to leave his name out just because I don't want to I don't want to single anybody out for this. But uh, the request was basically looking for some kind of a platform for him to vent. Uh, I think he wanted to vent about Twin Galaxies and stuff. And <sighs> I don't know. There, <sighs> twin. You mentioned Twin Galaxies to certain people. They will get violently angry. And there's. <sighs> I don't know. I to me, Twin Galaxies is a place to keep scores, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There are people out there who are disputing like thirty-some-year-old records that have been, if not so much proven, then at least authorized, at least officiated. Uh, like for example, like there are a couple of Todd Rogers scores that people disagree with, despite the fact that Activision actually recognizes them and that he did them at live events and things. And there's there are all these factions and stuff. All I gotta say is people seriously get a life okay it's a game it's a it's a game it's a scoring it's it's basically just a way to keep scoring records you know it's not i mean i and when i say like violently angry in in a few occasions i mean literally like there have been police called in certain occasions and i'm not even kidding about that like seriously if you don't like it then just don't freaking use it it's simple as that and that's why I don't just refer to um, Twin Galaxies when I'm talking in this podcast. I also go to Orcade.com. I'd also like to reference Highscore.com, or is it Highscores.com? The problem with that is it's so new that there aren't really many records up there yet. So it's not like there could be a world record on Highscore.com of, say, 200 points on Pac-Man or something. But uh, it's too new. But uh Seriously, people, it's just, it's not worth the trouble. If you don't like it, just don't use it. Be done with that. The world is not going to end because you think that rules were changed so Billy Mitchell could claim a higher score on Pac-Man with five lives as opposed to a three-life setting, which is factory default. Who cares? Come on. There are better things to worry about. As I say, and quite frankly, I mean, it's like, I think I guess everybody would love to have a high a world record. Hell, I want a world record. I don't see that happening ever. But you know what? I'm having fun. You know, and, and that's what it boils down to. I'm having fun, and I don't want to take and muddy up my enjoyment by putzing over world records or whatever. I mean, yeah, I get a little jealous of uh, James White and and uh, <laughs> and Matt Burke and. All the other, uh, all the other guys that are uh, world record guys and whatever, but um, <clears throat> oh, and you. Oh, excuse me. There was something in my throat. I'm sorry. Yeah. I had to clear my throat. It's, my fault. It's called humility. <laughs> humility in my throat. But uh, but you know what? I have fun. If if I get if I get a high score, a world record on something, you know, so be it. You know, I'm gonna keep playing like Gyrus and Two Tigers and whatever. And my scores have been getting better. Just the other day in May, I scored like three hundred and fifty thousand on two on two tigers, and um, and I, yeah, I, I keep track of that. Yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna lie, but I'm having fun. I'm trying to beat my my yeah. own scores. Is what? Yeah, that's that's what it's about. Yeah, and that's what the Atari twenty six hundred games were. It's like the games were games of skill. I mean, how much better can you do, you know, this time around than you did last time? And that's what it's about. It's about skill. It's about having fun and. And world records and whatnot should just be an afterthought. If it happens, yeah. awesome. Great. Oh, yeah. And, and believe me, I, I'm, I'm competitive just like anybody else. Notice I said competitive, not necessarily competent. But at the <laughs> same time, though, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, Jimmy G, but I don't want this podcast to be like a conduit for like any kind of 
wars breaking out over certain scoring mechanisms or whatever it, whatever else it is. Um, you know, I, I even suggested this guy said, you know what, why don't you do a YouTube video or something like that? You know, and, uh, I guess he didn't want to do that. He just wanted something simpler than that. But But, but you know what? It's so easy to go to YouTube and do a a live YouTube broadcast. You could do it on Facebook, you know, there there are many avenues. It's a heck of a lot easier to do this than it even was two years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And, you know, do it. I mean, hell, the angry video game nerd made a thing out of complaining about games. So, yes, he did. And very lucrative at that. Well, maybe not yeah. lucrative, but lucrative for YouTube, I guess. But, uh, you know, do it. Jump into it. Use this as a stepping stone for bigger and better things, you know? Exactly. I mean, you've exactly. got, obviously, passion on the topic. You know what? Explore that topic on your own show, but use it as a stepping stone for other topics as well. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know what the angle was going to be, but it's like, you know, I'd, ra- I'd rather not. I want just, I just want to be kind of neutral about the whole thing. I'm just going to say, here's what, here's what Twin Galaxies says. Here's what Orcade says. And, uh, compa- and here's how much we suck at the game in right. comparison. <laughs> you, know? you know, we, we just want to have fun, you know, um, on yeah, our, on our just podcast. Just call us girls and... because we just want to have fun. <laughs> Manly girls. But, um. Yeah, we, I anyway. mean, we just want to have fun on our podcast, and we, we might fun. complain, like uh, I told uh, Time Warner to screw themselves in the ass with a chainsaw earlier. And I told them pumping the monster. Yeah, pumping R.E.M.'s uh, new, well, not new, but new, R.E.M.'s album. So, hey, you know, let's turn things a little bit more positive now. Yeah, uh, let's do One that. thing, we mentioned before that uh, our prior month's payout from uh, your Patreon sponsorship, those of you who... Uh, who have been supporting us financially that went to NAMI greater Houston for uh, hurricane Harvey relief. Uh, just yesterday, we got a nice thank you letter uh, in the mail from them here at pie factory podcast headquarters, North uh, saying, thank you so much. We're extremely grateful. Um, and so that was, that was nice to see. Maybe what we'll do is I'll scan that in and uh, uh, post it in the show notes or something. I'll, 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 oh, excuse me. I will link it in the show notes. So, ah. um, see what I did there? Just hide, you know what to do. And, uh, oh, the other good news that I got, that we got to talk about, we just found out hours before we started recording this. There's now definitive dates and a locale for Midwest Gaming Classic. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Midwest Gaming Classic. Um, I suddenly forgot the dates. Um, that's going to be April. 15th through 17th, I believe. Yeah, uh, actually 13th through 15th, Friday through Sunday. And uh, that is going to be this time. This year, it's actually going to be in Milwaukee itself, not in the Milwaukee suburbs. It's going to be right right downtown. Yep. Uh, It's going to be at Wisconsin Center in Milwaukee. There are two partner hotels where uh, if you register for a hotel room uh, from the Midwest Gaming Classic site, uh, you get a special discounted rate. And yeah, it's I saw the rates without that, and there's definitely a huge discount. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we're gonna we're looking to at, le- at the very least one of us will be there. I don't know if both of us are gonna be there. One of us will. I'm tentatively going. I'm not gonna be able to get my ticket or room until at least February. But um, ah. I'm tentatively going because I have a um, a uh, a personal uh, uh, situation coming up in the spring, and I don't know when that's going to happen. Okay, my mom's moving back from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, back to the uh, the Joliet, Illinois area, 
and uh, she's gonna wants me and she's gonna fly me and my brother down to Phoenix, uh, and so that we can drive the U-Haul back to Juliet. Ah, uh, yeah, she finally me. got tired of her skin drying out. So yeah, uh, at least I did when I was in Vegas in the summer. But uh, so yeah, the two partner hotels there's Hilton Milwaukee City Center, Hyatt Regency Milwaukee. Uh, spoiler alert: neither of them has a pool. I think so, one of them actually has a, a skywalk over the street to the Wisconsin Center. I think they both do, do they? actually. I think so. They're okay. Yeah. In fact, uh, right here, the bullet, the last bullet point uh, on the Midwest Gaming Classic page for each of these hotels connected to Wisconsin Center via skywalk. Ah. So yeah, that's a pretty pretty good deal there. Uh, so uh, oh, dude, and I was actually thinking for a second. Oh man, you'll get used uh, to it. <laughs> how close. To the Amtrak station is that, and then I remembered. Wait a minute, all the boxes and stuff I had in the car last year. Yeah, I probably don't want to take Amtrak. Yeah. I probably just want to drive. Yeah, it's probably not a good so, idea. So yeah, um, so I th- is. Do you have any any further uh, news there, uh, in, in, um, Jimmy G? No, no, no. But I do have some addenda and errata. Oh really? So we might as well uh, open up addenda and errata. <laughs> this is going. All the way back to episode 57, uh, the game wow. Two Tigers, actually. Uh, I was I played that at uh, Galloping Ghost, by the way, and I didn't like it as much. I actually preferred it without the little yoke control. <laughs> That's one thing I think I like on the Tron conversion more than I do uh, the, the standalone, but I think overall the standalone's a better game. It just, the, the control uh, takes a little getting used to, but, you know, once you get used to it, you... you, you Get into the swing of things, I guess. But yes, um, I was. I remember mentioning in the episode that it would have been nice if there was some way that they told you how many uh, battleships or whatever that your bombing got away before the game was over. And uh. I was playing it the other day, and I don't know how I missed this. On the horizon in the game, in the background, there are a couple of battleships. And when you let one escape, one of those goes away. If um, you have none left... The last ship on the screen, if that one goes away, your game's over. So the two the battleships in the background are your is your life indicator. It was very, very subtle. I never noticed that before, but that's ex- what that's how you keep track of how many uh, how many ships uh, you have are allowed to let go before the game over. I didn't know that. Noticed that the other day. I was playing it and I saw the ships in the background and I thought it changed level to level, but then I had a ship go away, and then I saw one of the ships in the background go away. I'm like, wait a minute. And then I let the other ones go away, and yep, that is your life indicator. Never noticed that. Still one of my most favorite games that we've talked about on the show in recent memory. Well, yeah. Derek Hubert and Moon Patrol too, but oh well. Oh, of course. Yeah, and um, we did get, I don't know if this would be more, this would be addenda, really. Just uh, basically one of our uh, longtime listeners and uh, Patreon sponsors sharing his thoughts with us, and that's Michael D'Angelo says, Moon Patrol, one of my favorites, and another game that I've been playing for over 30 years that my seven-year-old girls can kick my ass. <laughs> oh, and you know don't what? Don't you just hate when that happens? Well, then again, I don't have a seven-year-old. I don't have any I kids, just so I don't realized know like. something. I just realized something about Michael D'Angelo. He's, he's got a podcast. Really? The Atari 5200 Super Podcast. Oh, he's on that? Yes, he's one of the hosts. Uh, I don't know if he's how long he's been on, because he was, wasn't on the earlier episodes, but he is uh, one of the hosts of the Atari 5200 Super Podcast. 
Oh, my goodness. I just listened to it for the first time the other day. And, um, well, I, actually, I added it because I hadn't heard any 5200 podcasts in a while. And I was looking at the list, and it, you know, hosts, you know, Willie and Michael D'Angelo. I'm like, whoa, he's one of our Patreon sponsors. So, yes, he is, uh, the I believe it's the called the Atari 5200 Super Podcast. So You know what I have to say to that? What do you have to say to that? Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes. So give her a listen to. And, um, yeah. So. Wow. That's like just plain. That's just a huge omission on our part. Good grief. Where where the hell are we? What else are we missing? What else are we not telling people that they probably already know? Oh, you know what? We, there's another Patreon sponsor of ours who, uh, just started a new podcast, actually. Oh. Nate Lockhart. Oh, you were, I just saw the post on, uh, on Atari Age, actually, while we were recording. Tell us about it. Well, you it listened is, to it. I haven't yet. Yeah, I actually, I actually did uh, listen to the first episode. Uh, the podcast is called The Memory Machine. Nate and Seth co-host it. I fr- oh, man, I'm so sorry. I forgot the third guy's name, but he's a choir master, apparently. And uh, I don't know if he's going to be on the show every time, but the first episode of The Memory Machine is uh, pre-crash video games we can put the SoundCloud link in the show notes, but it's also available on iTunes under Geekiverse. And I listened to that first episode actually just yesterday. And I got to say, like, these guys are significantly younger than both of us. So it's interesting to hear their perspectives on the same games that, that we grew up playing and how they were introduced to it. So it's really interesting hearing like kind of a different generation talk about it. So definitely check it out. It's very, it's a very fun listen. Um, I actually and, have the uh, SoundCloud page pulled up here, and the three hosts are Seth, Drew, and Nate. Drew, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, don't have his full name here, but excuse me, Seth, Drew, and Nate. So yeah, it's uh, Memory Machine, and uh, it's basically going to be about pop culture. It's a, well, the description says tackles all aged pop culture. I don't know if he means like old pop culture or all ages. And because the D is right next to the S on a keyboard, if that was a typo or what, but Hey, but, uh, if you like pop culture memory machine, I highly enjoyed the first episode. So I'm kind of looking forward to the rest of it. So man, there are too many podcasts out there. I, yeah, I, I hardly ever listen to it. I hardly ever listen to music on my iPod anymore. Cause I'm catching up with podcasts lately. Yeah, I, I got to pare down all the podcasts I listen to. Um, Let's I see, I've Victor got and Sean are going to be the first to go. And then I think Andy and Tim out. And, uh, let's see. <laughs> but, Oh, um, before we move real quick, move on, uh, back to talking about, uh, moon patrol real quick. Uh, you had mentioned that, uh, gas hog by what was it? Spectra video. Was yeah. a uh, Moon Spectre Patrol uh, Spectre Vision was a Moon Patrol clone. Uh, I fired it up in an emulator the other day, and yeah, it is a Moon Patrol clone. But it's uh, wow. a little interesting because there's two levels. On the top level, you're moving from the left to the right, and if you jump into a hole, the direction changes. You're going back to the left, and um, back into the left, huh? Yeah, it, back to the left. Back into the left. No, you're going back to the left. Back to the left. Any rate, back to the left. But uh, you cannot shoot up, back uh, upwards to the left. Yeah, whatever. Pumping the monster. <clears throat> Wait a minute. Pumping the monster sounds better when I do it. Better, better. So, so yeah, I gave it a shot, and uh, I'm gonna 
actually probably play that one a little bit more, uh, see what the instructions say, because it looks like there's a little more going on than, uh, you know, just pick up and play with that game. So. For some reason, I was thinking it was a different game, but now that I think about it, the game I was thinking of was like called Bank Heist or something like that. So, what do you think is a better Moon? What do you think is a better Moon Patrol game for the twenty six hundred Moon Patrol or Gas Hog? Well, Gas Hog is more colorful, and it's got some more, you know, twists to it. But I think the Moon Patrol, uh, the the official Moon Patrol is fine. I mean, it plays like the arcade. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. I like it. It's fun. It's a fun yeah. game. It's one yeah. I would always go back to. Although the music on the 2600 version, unlike the arcade version, does get annoying after a while. Never got tired of it in the arcade. 2600 I did because it was, you know, just one part harmony. They could have used a, well, whatever chip they used for uh, Pitfall 2. To, the DPC. That would, the DPC. That would have been neat. Named after David Green, by the way. Oh, there you go. That would have been an interesting chip to have, see other games made with. That would, oh, they, they probably could have done a bang-up Moon Patrol with that chip. We also um, got a tweet from Rolly Retro. Oh? Uh, speaking of Moon Patrol, says simply, love Moon Patrol. Best marquee ever? That is a nice-looking marquee, it? <laughs> that isn't is, it? actually. It actually displays the action of the game rather well. Now that I think about it, most marquees, the exception of Bagman, which actually has the instructions on the marquee. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I think this is the only one I can think of that actually dis- oh, describes the action dude, no, of the game. You know, it's a really awesome marquee. I don't think this is how it was originally produced. I think it was custom made. There's a game at Galloping Ghost. I don't, oh man, I don't know the name of it. But in front of the sign, it's like got this like underwater thing with actual <gasps> water. Yes. What the hell is oh, that? What oh, what game is that? I know the one you're talking about. Oh, that is so awesome. It's, I, I remember it, it's sitting right near... Uh, a game called The Outfoxies. Oh, man. It's in that What's back it room. Oh, it's man. in that back room. The, the the room, you know, when you walk in, you got the desk right there, and then there's a room behind the desk to the left with a bunch of machines. Oh, man, you know what? They moved uh, Timber and Tapper out of there. Now they're uh, in, like, the main area and right next to each other, so you don't have the artwork, oh, like, back-to-back. Back you got a was... picture of that before. Yeah. Because yeah. that was pretty awesome. I know exactly the machine you're talking yeah. about. Oh, and I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I never played the actual game either. And, and I think, like, if, if you're talking about just regular old panel or, or marquee art, I think exciting new Pac-Man Plus is very pleasant to look at. If I that were is gonna, a nice marquee. Uh, if I want, I think I'm going to get that if I decide to get another marquee for for decoration purposes. I, I, um, it's another oh, game by on the way, our list I, to talk about. Yeah, I played that for the first time in over 30 years um, at the at the Ghost yeah. uh, last weekend. I love that game. Oh, well. But I don't want to dwell oh, well. on that too much because we yeah. still got games to talk about, I guess. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. And just one more erratum that I should talk about. Uh, yes. Just, I knew I was going to get this as soon as I said this, but I think it was two episodes ago when I talked about how, uh, well, it's when we were talking about the Catcade and how it's mm-hmm. located in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, which is where Wrigley, uh, Wrigley Field is. And I got a couple of uh, people saying, no, it's not. It's in Wrigleyville. Well, here's the thing. Wrigleyville is part of Lakeview. I think the issue is that I used the term neighborhood when I guess I should have called it community area because there are 77 community areas in Chicago and Lakeview is one of them. It's kind of like how where I live. I live in uh, the Edgewater community area. And the thing is, like, the, according to the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce, I live 
just at the northern border of Andersonville. We actually went to an apartment finding service to find our apartment. They told us it was Edgewater Glen. And um, if you look on a map and you find, like, like on a neighborhood map of Chicago, where it actually tells you the little tiny neighborhoods in all, across the city, our place is actually in Magnolia Glen, according to that map. So, you know, uh, so the whole thing just gets really screwed up. It's even confusing for me. And I freaking live in the city. So I, I, you know, just take it for what it is, I guess. But technically Wrigley Field is within the Lakeview community area. So there you go. There you so go. So just wanted to clarify that. So ah, I think that's, uh, do we have anything else we need to address before we uh, get into the guts of uh, Pie Factory Podcast? Yeah, I think we need to address some bills that we got to send off to the bill collectors but oh you know what else um let's open up everything we know about the atari box oh yes we forgot it's time for another edition of everything we know about the atari box jimmy g do you have anything nah neither do i so this has been everything we know about the atari box okay so here we go um so you know what all right we've been talking for about six hours now so why don't we actually talk about the featured games for this episode uh would what what should we discuss first should we go chronologically by release year should we go alphabetically what should we do uh i don't know you're the host so you tell (laughs) see what i did there uh, okay i see exactly what you did there yeah apparently i'm not supposed to say that anymore yeah i'm not supposed to say uh something at any rate at any rate yeah but the thing is that that wasn't really a complaint he was just he, he was, he the was thing playing. is, do tell is my catchphrase. I, you know why it's my catchphrase? Because I said it is, which means it's not really a catchphrase. You know what? I haven't used my catchphrase in a while. So you got that going for you. And which one is your catchphrase? So you got that going for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just said it. So why right. don't you decide anyway. which one we talk about first? You, I have noticed there is a trend on this show that whoever the host is makes the other person go first usually. Well, guess what? That's going to be the trend again tonight. Oh. Because I really do want to go... Um, chronologically i have like a minor subtle reason for that that i'm not necessarily going to point out but let's do space harrier first space harrier ah space harrier yes ah yay space harrier so yeah space harrier is from sega you know that's i was just talking to my wife about that last night because i was like hey look at my arm over here is this space harrier than the other one so space harrier sega 1985 it was uh Released in three cabinets, there was a stand-up cabinet, a sit-down, and... What's the deal with space? Oh, not that kind of stand-up? No. And uh, they had one which is known in the industry as a rolling cabinet. Uh, This is one that had hydraulics in it, so that you would sit down, put your tokens in, and when you moved around, it would, like, tilt the cabinet up and and all of that. So I have not ever seen one of those, but uh, I think... um, it's been a couple of episodes since uh, I've done a dramatic reading, so I think I should do one now, don't you think? Hmm. Well, um, if you feel the need to do that, then uh, let's do this. Is it, it going to be a soup can this time? No, 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 no. The title oh. of today's dramatic reading is The Space Harrier Saga Prologue. This is taken from the Sega Master System version of Space Harrier. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there existed a beautiful utopia located far, far beyond the most distant galaxy of the universe called Dragonland. It was a peaceful world brimming over with life and light. 
then suddenly, in the space year 6226, a dastardly scheme carefully orchestrated by the Evil One was unleashed on this land which had once been a Garden of Eden. Supernatural phenomena became rampant throughout the devastated planet and barbaric and evil creatures could literally be seen roaming everywhere. Although everything imaginable appeared to have been destroyed on Dragonland, the only living thing that continued to resist the forces of evil was Uriah, a friendly dragon. He was nearly at his wit's end in his unrelenting search for a savior when lo and behold, a fighter from Earth with superhuman ability and psychic powers which are not actually ever seen in the game, heard his plea for help and arrived on the scene to help save the day. Now, with the whole universe as your audience, a legendary battle that is surely destined to be passed down to future generations is about to unfold. Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So... I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. And uh, we're going to be talking more about Fantasy Zone in this episode. I've, I got once I started researching this game, I thought I was not going to have much to say about this game. But once I started researching it, like, holy crap, there's a lot of background to this game. But um, the way the game works is it's uh, from the third person's third person perspective. Yeah, that was that's when the camera is behind your player, I believe. And uh, the game has 18 levels. Uh, You maneuver the Space Harrier in the air or on the ground over a scrolling checkerboard landscape. Uh, So what exactly is a Space Harrier, though? Funny you mention that, because the original concept of the game (laughs) um, was that it was actually going to be an airplane game, the way it was originally devised. But I was reading that due to technical limitations, they couldn't, um, couldn't do the the Earth air battle stuff they wanted to do, so they changed it to uh, an alien planet, and it's called Space Harrier, even though you're not in space. So that's where they get the Harrier from, and no idea where they get space from. So that's the story I read. Is it because you kind of move through some of the space that's like above you and below you? and I'm guessing and because the, the Space Harrier is uh, from Earth, and he had to traverse space to get to this planet of, what was it, Dragon World? Oh, could be. So, could be. so anyway, um, you're maneuvering over the scrolling checkerboard landscape. Uh, there are a couple levels where the checker sport, checkerboard is in the air above as well, and those levels move faster, and it is really, those levels are really irritating, almost hypnotic. And, um, yeah, so when your space harrier flies around, he's just, well, first of all, he isn't flying under his own power. He's actually holding a jet that also doubles as a gun. So he's like got his arm wrapped around the, 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 the thing. So if he lets go of it, he's like going to fall to his death, which is kind of unsafe, I would think. But at any rate, oh, I did it. Uh, anyway, the uh, so there's that. And when he's on the ground, he actually, he actually uh, had, there's a running animation and some of like the littler obstacles he can actually trip over, which is kind of funny, but uh, I, you do lose control of him for just a, a little moment, and you can still die during that, but I don't see that happening very often when I've played the game. So, At any rate, um, there's a boss at the end of the level, but uh, and many of those bosses look like dragons, and uh, the effect's kind of neat. It's like, it's like, uh, a, like you know, a big sprite for a head, and then there's like a bunch of other little like circular ones, and it like 
simulates three-dimensional motion. Kind of... You really got to see it to to really get what I'm saying. Um, But most of them look like dragons. Some of them look like, you know, bizarre shapes or whatever. Uh, It's kind of, you know, the game's kind of weird. We're going to get into that a little bit more. Uh, There are two levels that are bonus rounds, that is the 5th and the 12th, in which your character, the Harrier, uh, gets on the back of the aforementioned Uriah, the white dragon, and the bonus round, basically you're destroying all the obstacles on the ground uh, as the dragon flies around. And the more you get, the more points you get. Uh, Just warning you right now, I'm not going to talk about the points in this game. This is another game where it's really pointless. (laughs) Talk about the points. Um, Does that mean you didn't get a score at all? Your score was zero because it was pointless? Yes, pretty much. Um, and the 18th level, which is the final level in the game, uh, is basically bosses from the previous levels uh, that you fight up against again. A random sampling of enemies in the game, um, they look like, uh, uh, among other things, fighter jets, uh, the Transformers from the you know movies, Toy Line, Easter Island heads, dodecahedrons, towers that look similar to Seattle's Space Needle, uh, one-eyed woolly mammoth, spheres that open and close, trees and shrubs, and multicolored jumping mushrooms, which I think the developers were on when they created this game. The control, you basically got an analog joystick with a trigger, and there are fire buttons on the console either side of the joystick. And uh, as I was saying before, you know, you got a jetpack that doubles as your gun. No power-ups, and uh, as far as ports go, uh, the only ones I could find were the Sega Master System. Yeah, there was a, a 3D version also for the Sega Master System, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and then there was Space Harrier 2 on the Sega Genesis, which is basically Space Harrier with different sequence uh, sequences, that sort of thing. Um, as far as computer ports, it was on the Amstrad CPC, the Sharp 68000, the Commodore 64, the Sinclair ZX Spectrum, ZX Spectrum, the Atari ST, the Commodore Amiga, and the PC via MS-DOS. Now, uh, let me see. I think I'll go into the trivia first. I got uh, quite a bit of stuff here. First of all, there is an Easter egg in the game, which displays a, the developer credit, which was a man named Yu Suzuki, and also has the game's build date in there. To trigger it, all you got to do is at the start of a stage, before the stage name disappears, you press the shot three button six times, then the start button eight times, and then the shot three button once again. And if you mess... Did you actually trigger it? I actually did not give it a shot. Um, <laughs> or a shot three, as it were. Uh, did not do that because I was busy playing other ports of this game. Interestingly, I think it's after you lose your first life... There's a message that pops up on the screen that says many more battle scenes will soon be available. Yeah, that confused me. So I was like, wait a minute. I was wondering about that, and I couldn't find any more information on that. So I'm wondering if they were meaning that they're about a sequel, which there was... uh, Oh, I didn't put the the sequels on here. There were two sequels. There was a Space Harrier 2 in the arcade, and uh, later on there was an arcade game called Planet Harrier, which I have yet to play. So I forgot about that. But I'm wondering if maybe they were talking about a sequel or if they were going to update the ROMs with more, more, I don't know, scenes or whatever. But 
Or, or it could have just been like poorly worded, like make it basically saying there's more coming up. Or you know what I mean? More in, maybe it was English. Um, could yeah, it could be. That's what I'm because, saying. Because uh, will soon be available. There, there, I, I found. I've looked for this. I cannot find any explanation of that. That is just like the weirdest damn message I've ever seen pop up in a video game. I, you know what? Thinking about it, I'm thinking may it might be an English thing. Uh, that's that's what I'm leaning toward. Right yeah, now. because it seems in context seems to be make more sense to me, because there was as far as I'm aware there was no easy way in the machine to add more add more rounds add more sequences, and I'm wondering if maybe it should read something more like more battle scenes await you. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking that's what it, it might mean. I don't know, but there you go. But um, uh, a little more trivia: um, Hiroshi Kawaguchi. Composed the music on a Yamaha DX7 synthesizer. And oh, man. He wrote out the final versions of the music as sheet music because he had no access to a real music sequencer at the time. So there, sheet music for this, for this game exists. The Yamaha DX7 was a fixture in 80s culture. It really was. Pretty much saw it in any music video that had a keyboardist. Yep. Oh, yeah. My, my brother had a Yamaha DX100 for a while, actually. Really? Which is like more of an at-home, like, tabletop kind of a keyboard. It was actually pretty cool. I found, uh, uh, continuing on, uh, I found this interesting. This is an interview he did with, I guess, with 1up.com. May actually be another source for this. Uh, Yu Suzuki was saying about the game, uh, The market research department told me not to make this game. He asked them why 3D shooters didn't succeed, and they told me it was because the target is too small. Based on that, my conclusion was that I basically had to make sure that the player could hit the target. So I made a homing system that guaranteed that the target could be hit. When the target was close, it would always hit, but when the target was in the distance, the player would miss. So the result of whether the player would hit the target or not was determined the second the player took the shot. So I thought that was uh, fairly interesting. And... Oh, I did forget to mention there is voice in this game. Uh, basically, only uh, only voices I've heard were "Welcome to the Fantasy Zone" and uh, "Get Ready" after you lose a life and start again. But the voice at the start of the game says "Welcome to the Fantasy Zone," and I mentioned the Fantasy Zone in the prologue. And um, yeah. there's some interesting history behind that, and I got some stuff here about that. So anyway, it says "Welcome to the Fantasy Zone," but there's no other real connection to the San- Sega Fantasy Zone shooter games they're kind of kind of uh, gradius or defenderish in a way uh, though some people believe that the games are set in the same universe just because it says welcome to the fantasy zone the director of the game fantasy zone uh, Yoji Ishii said in a 2014 interview with stgameside.jp which is a Japanese website that uh, Space Harrier was made by the same department at Sega but other than that there was no direct connection I did get to watch them as they were developing it, though. However, (laughs) Opa Opa, which is the main character in Fantasy Zone, is a hidden character in Planet Harriers. Hmm. A port of Fantasy Zone in 1989 for the Japanese Sharp X68000 computer contains a hidden stage called Dragonland that features enemies from Space Harrier. In 1991, NEC Avenue developed a CD-ROM game titled Space Fantasy Zone. It featured Fantasy Zone's main character, Opa Opa, in nine levels, combining gameplay elements and enemies from both franchises. Space Fantasy Zone was never released due to a legal dispute with Sega, and apparently the game was meant to bridge the gap between both franchises. 
And one of the endings in the 2007 PlayStation 2 game Fantasy Zone 2 DX has Harrier and Uriah attempting to eliminate a turned-evil Opa-Opa bent on destroying the game's eponymous Fantasy Zone. So, officially, there's no real connection in the game other than the uh, the phrase, Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. But, and that threw me off, too, because it said, Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. But then on the screen, it said, what, Gloom or something? Yeah, each level has a different name. And I was looking for a list of the names but uh, of each level. But I... Oh, actually, no, it's not the name of the level. That's the name, actually, of the boss at the end of the level. Oh, and interesting to note, um, I forgot to mention this in the notes, my notes here, but I did see it, that there's one enemy, uh, one boss called Ida, I-D-A, and uh, that's the name of somebody who worked on the game. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But um, there's no direct connection to the Fantasy Zone games. It's like the Fantasy Zone games, or Space Harrier, or both of them were, I guess, retconned for them to be into the, in the same universe, but... It's really a stretch, I think, to do that. But uh, I haven't seen any of these other games that they're talking about as far as these uh, these other ports of Fantasy Zone and Space Harrier or Planet Harrier. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're two totally different styles of gameplay, and I don't know. As I said, I just don't see it. Um, a little bit of trivia, too, about Opa Opa. He also makes an appearance in the Sega Master System game Zillion, which I think that's where the character derived from actually is from Zillion, uh, which was based on a Japanese anime. Zillion is a great game. If you've ever played Impossible Mission on uh, the Commodore 64 or Atari 7800 or what have you, uh, it's it's similar concept, but I kind of prefer Zillion, uh, to be honest. But uh, that is everything I have to say about Space Harrier in the arcade. Uh, I do have more to say about Space Harrier later, but... Uh, get to that later and uh so let's discuss uh first of all the first place i ever played the game was actually take a guess uh louis joliet mall no Aladdin's castle uh sound investment no uh putt putt no um, I, I saw it on the at the same place i first saw Pacland. At King's Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati, Ohio. Ah. It was, I think it was actually right next to the Pac-Land machine, now that I think about it. And it was the very first place I ever saw it, and the very first played I, place I played it, and the first place I ever got, ever got confused by the uh, battle scenes will soon be available message. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, where was the first place you ever played it? Galloping Ghost. Well, there you go. And Just when I, when I was last there, actually. There you go. So, let's talk about the game, shall we? First of all, what do you think of the game? Uh, graphically, this is a beautiful game. The graphics are excellent. The sound is excellent. You remember, uh, I played it at Galloping Ghost, and then I sent you a message over Facebook about it. You yes. remember what I said? Um, Ten Pence just talked about this game on their most current episode. Oh, that's right. They did. Um, and they weren't fans of it. My exact wording was, I can't wait to never play Space Harrier again. Which is a shame, I guess. I don't know. It's a beautiful game, and it, the, the, the sound effects and the music are awesome. I find myself humming the Space Harrier song every now and then, to be honest, especially for the first level. But it's it's one of these games where, you know, the first time I ever played it, obviously I was younger, I was more enthralled with it, and I think I may have actually played it on the Sega Master System first before I played it in the arcade, now that I think about it. But 
I'm like playing it and I'm like now and I'm like this I don't I don't know. I mean it's not terrible, but it's I guess it, it just doesn't seem to be something I would go back to over and over again. It's just I don't know, it's just missing something. It's just well first of all, it is kinda hard to judge when you're gonna get hit by something. Oh yeah. And that's I, I a think that's huge the issue. biggest problem with this game. To be perfectly honest, I was mentioning there's a, a couple of screens where you have the checkerboard landscape both above and below you. And uh, that's the, that screen is really hard. I mean, first of all, it speeds everything up. Those, those screens are faster than the normal screens, or at least they appear to be. And it, it just, I, I just can't, I can't get past those screens, uh, you know, even with continue. Well, I mean, I guess I can, but I have a hard time doing it because it's just, it doesn't give me a headache, but it feels like it should. You know what I'm saying? I know, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, it, it's, I don't, it just, just doesn't feel, it, it, it's like hypnotic in a way, I guess. And I don't know, I just, I, I can do, I can deal with like the first couple levels of this game, but it's just, anymore, I'm just, I don't know, I don't hate the game, but it's not one I go back to every now and then unless it's like, oh, I haven't played that in a while. So that's kind of what I feel about the game. I don't think it's, ter- as I said, don't think it's terrible. It's not really great either. So it's just kind of there to me. I don't know. But it's a shame to me that such great graphics and sound were wasted on such terrible gameplay, personally. That's the way I feel about it. I don't think the gameplay in and of itself is terrible. I just think the way it's implemented was. Well, and I think part of it had to do with when I was actually at Galloping Ghost and actually playing it for the first time. And I was finding it impossible, impossible to beat the first boss character. Because it seemed that every time the head was in a place where you could shoot it, there was something being shot at you at the time. Okay. And you can't block it out. It was impossible. Here's, here's what you do with that. Okay, first of all, as I was told you before, go around in a circular motion. However, there's also another another hint. As I was telling you about earlier, uh, explaining about how the dragon sprites work, it's like, like say, like 12 sprites. You got a head sprite, and then like 11 body sprites. And the way they move to create an illusion of 3D depth. The dragon only fires at you when he's coming toward you. He doesn't fire you when he's he's going away. However, that face, the only thing that takes hits is the face sprite. And it does not matter which direction the face sprite is headed. So if he's, if the dragon's going away from you, you can still hit the face sprite and it will still register as a hit on the dragon. So you can wait and hold off all your attacks until he's going away from you. And just uh, the unpredictability of where things were going to come. Suddenly you'd get hit in the bottom by a tree or something, or there'd be this giant rock coming at, at, coming at, at you from nowhere. And it was just really annoying. And also something I found, I, ke- I kept losing my lives with that boss character, and I kept getting that message about... Uh, the, the more scenery being available. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, are you kidding me? Am I playing a not finished game right now? And it was just yeah, driving that, me insane. Yeah. And here's the biggest issue I have with Space Harrier. Sure. With Space Harrier. The control. Well, well, the control, for one thing, I am so freaking sick of the little flight thing where you pull down to go up and up to go down. That's not necessary in Space Harrier because you're not controlling a freaking airplane. You know, it's like, come on, just stop with that crap. Okay, I do have to say this. You're correct. You're not controlling a freaking airplane. However, 
in the Sega Master System version of Space Harrier, there actually is a cheat code. Well, sort of not a cheat code, but uh, it unlocks an Easter egg, which uh, allows you to turn your Space Harrier into a jet. Well, that's fine, but I was playing the arcade version. But that's not the arcade, yeah. But I just and thought the, I'd throw the, that On there. top of all that, that's not my biggest issue with the controller. The biggest issue with the controller is it is tiring. It is, ex- it is physically exhausting to play the damn game. How so? My hand was just, my entire wrist was just aching, just playing that and firing, moving all directions, constantly shooting. Mm-hmm. And even when I tried it in MAME, it wasn't any better. Because I was still like repeatedly hitting the fire button and constantly dodging things. I was getting carpal tunnel syndrome practically. Yeah, I can see that. I have a I have a problem with trigger games because it, they just don't really feel that terribly comfortable to me. Um, even and, without the trigger, even even on a freaking laptop keyboard, it mm-hmm. was tiring. Yeah. And now well, you're making me whine like this, no. you know. I got diverticulitis. Uh, Doug and Wendy Weiner, Saturday Night Live. Thank you. Okay, if you have to explain yeah. the joke. Well, then. we got younger listeners, so. But uh, I haven't gotten seen the tiring thing playing it with uh, with my uh, 8-bit Doe NES Classic controller. Um, I don't, <laughs> I mean, I can get it in the arcade because a lot of times games that have a flight stick, the flight stick controller or a flight yoke is a heavier type controller, and so there's more, a little more effort put into it. So I could see that in the arcade version, not with the main version, but that's maybe just me. Chris, you were probably playing it on your what GPXD? No, I was playing it on my MacBook actually. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. What could actually it would probably be a lot better on my GPDXD. I haven't, fu- I have not played my GPDXD since I was in Vegas back in August. I think. Oh really? Interesting. What, well, mainly because most of the time when I play it, it's when I'm in public transit, but I've been taking my bike to work mm. almost exclusively for the past three or four weeks. Yes, I've noticed. I've been following you on mapmyride.com. Oh, that's uh, very kind of you for st- for um, following me. Yes. <clears throat> I'm a stalker. Um, what controller were you using on your map- MacBook? Keyboard. Oh, well, I think that's a problem right there. You got to have, you got to use a controller. Uh, of some sort, even if even a mouse. My, Do you think maybe the Atari 7800 Pro line would uh, help make my <laughs> wrist feel better? Yeah, I think the Pain Line controller would work. That's the one thing with my eight my eight uh, bit Do NES Classic controller is that it's got a little it's got a couple of, of analog uh, thumbsticks and uh, the buttons are in a comfortable position. So I didn't notice that problem um, here. I think that might be your your problem with it at the home uh on your macbook so i i guess uh at this point uh with space here uh talk about scores perhaps sure let's talk about scores perhaps uh at least the highest scores that i could find according to orcade.com jason wilson um during fun spot 2 performed may 29th 2000 i forgot to write the score down hold on a sec let me check it and while he's checking that, uh, I wanted to just uh, chime in here real quick. I played, uh, t- uh, tonight I played the uh, the Sega Master System version, the Sega Master System 3D version, and the uh, there was a version of this uh, for the NES, uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, or rather the Famicom in Japan. And I have to say, out of all three versions, the one I prefer the most is actually the NES version, hmm. because the graphics are a lot smoother and you can actually uh, 
tell when uh, it's easier to tell when something can hit you. Uh, so hmm. yeah, I prefer it. Uh, the graphics aren't as good. And the music isn't as good as the other versions, but I think it's a more fun version. Oh, so that's kind of bizarre. All right. It handled the scaling well. The, the Sega Master System version could not handle the scaling. It would like the the image would be like in the background, the silly jump larger, jump larger, jump larger. That's because they had to make bigger sprites because the uh, Master System doesn't couldn't handle scaling. Well, I know for a fact that the NES couldn't handle scaling either, but yet there it is. So. I don't know. Well, the problem is the Master System didn't yet have blast processing. Oh, that could be it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And they didn't have super game cartridges either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you couldn't do the math either, yeah. so. And they didn't have Mode 7. But anyway, Jason Wilson scored 27,669,030 on Space Harrier. And then you got people like Philip Campbell. In fact, you have Philip Campbell, period. Uh, Twin Galaxies, uh, verified August 13th, 2010, scored 42,384,290, which is a little bit better than what I did. Uh, I came pretty close. Um, at Galloping Ghost uh, on Sunday, the 10th of September, I scored 417,410. Ooh. And actually on MAME, I got at least a million points more with just one credit. So there we go. There you are. So I've gotten at least fourteen or one point four million. Very games. extremely I mean, high scoring game. Yeah, that's a well. I'll get to this later, but that seems to be a thing with uh, Sega games of the time. Yeah, this uh, this one, the other game we're going to talk about, uh, Afterburner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for one. Um, can't think of any of the other games off the top of my head from that era. Oh, Power Drift. Oh, Power Drift was a fun game. That's one I'd love to talk about. It's like Mario Kart before Mario Kart. It was a kart racing game. It was very fun, but... I like kart games. Those are fun, fun racing games, because they don't take themselves seriously. I like that. So I'm going to add that to the spreadsheet, actually, now that while I'm thinking Ooh, about there it. There you go. <laughs> I put but, it right um, anyway, under Star uh, Trek. So anyway, um, I'm going to rate the game on my behalf. Rake uh, it? Space Harrier. Now, if this had been September 10th, right after I left Galloping Ghost Arcade, this would have easily been a one for me. One continue. I I hated this game with every fiber of my being. And by the way, that's spelled F I B R E just for Victor and Sean. Fibre. And uh, so uh, everybody else, you can have it the correct way F I B E R. But um, I just couldn't stand it. And the biggest problem was the controls. I just could not play it with the controls. But after I spent a little bit more time with it on MAME, I was like, you know what? It doesn't deserve a one. Let's give it a two. That's because I, I can actually see why somebody could enjoy that. So it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to be so harsh with it. Well, had I been younger and saw this game for the first time, I would have easily rated this a four. But playing it more in emulation and playing it more in the arcade nowadays, I have a hard time getting into it. I, like I said, I don't hate the game. I don't love the game. It's kind of just there. So... I'm going to rate it a three. Three continues. Three continues. Three continues. So, Mr. So, Host. There we go. Uh, do we have anything for... Whoa. Yeah. Do we have anything for that? You need a bicarbonate of soda? I need two bicarbonates of soda. Okay. Well, go get them. Um, do we have anything more to say about Space Harrier, or can we, like... Uh, let's, like, move on. 
Let's, you know what? Actually, let's move on. Let's move on. Moving no on more space here. To something and else. And hopefully we don't have any addenda or errata on it because I really don't want to talk about it again if we don't have to. So let's turn to so tonight's. Okay, I got to ask you, which would you rather talk about again? Space Harrier or Professor Pac-Man? Um, Is that the existential conundrum of the day? I would have to say, if, if I were forced to discuss one of those again, I would have to say Professor Pac-Man. Whoa. Because I, it gives me an opportunity to say what a travesty that is to ha- to oh, okay. to uh, sort of to talk, you would rather talk Pac-Man about Pac-Man name. You you would rather talk about Professor Pac-Man in an ironic way. No, in an angry way. Uh, angry, ironic, fine line. You have witnessed the line being shaved even thinner. And the thing is, like Professor Pac-Man has something going for it in terms of talkability, and that's the whole midway. That's true. That whole artificial midway conundrum. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that was the word I was looking for, conundrum. That's a fun word. But uh, it, it is, it is. And I, I like talking about conundra. So uh, speaking of which, let's talk about a other game. And uh, this is also from Sega, but from the following year, from 1986. And I, of course, talk about Outrun. Outrun, which apparently is two separate words. It's hard to tell from the arcade marquee but outrun was released september 20th 1986 by sega that's almost exactly 31 years ago from when we're recording this by the way and uh, in japan it was called auto ron r-a-n Ooh, that sounds like my superhero name auto ron there you go as with space harrier outrun was designed by yu suzuki and uh did we talk about the other games that he designed besides no uh, we didn't outrun? actually Oh, there was he does he did uh, Hang On, which is a fun motorcycle racing game. Played that I have several played times. That. Mm-hmm. That's um, an interesting game. I'm going to add that to the list. And a No Underground Retrocade has it. I think Doc has it at Galloping Ghost too. Uh, there's Hang On, Afterburner, Virtua Racing, and Virtua Fighter. He did those. And uh, Outrun, and this actually does explain a few things that I've always wondered over the years. Outrun was based loosely on the movie The Cannonball Run. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And doesn't it explain a few things, huh? It does, actually. And uh, the scenery itself, though, is based on European scenic views that uh, Yu Suzuki saw when he took a two-week European road trip in a BMW 520. And uh, there are some American locales. Like, for example, there are signs for Death Valley and Devil's Canyon, but most of the scenery is based on Europe. And uh, basically, OutRun, the purpose of OutRun was a driving simulator based on Yu Suzuki's interest in Ferraris. And the car isn't technically a Ferrari. Um, I I have my own thoughts as to why. Copyright. Yeah, I would think but, so. Uh, but the intention was that the car was to resemble a Ferrari Testarossa Spider. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background on the Ferrari Testarossa Spider, the Spider was the only official convertible version of the Testarossa, and it was designed by a car design firm called. Um, I think it'd be pronounced Pininfarina, and they're based out of Italy, of course. And that Ferrari was commissioned to be built as a gift for Johnny Agnelli, or it would be Agnelli, I'm not sure. And uh, Agnelli was was the head of Fiat at the time. Who's Johnny? And there was... Oh. Shut up. <laughs> the car had uh, kind of a silver theme going for it. There were like silver bars around it, silver trim, mm-hmm. and all that. And um, even the hood ornament, which uh, Ferrari usually makes out of aluminum, the hood ornament 
on the spider that was given to Agnelli or Agnelli, probably Agnelli as I'm guessing, uh, that was made out of silver. So why was there so much silver? Well, what's the chemical symbol for silver? I don't know. The only one I remember off of the periodic table is uh, gold, is AU. And I only know that because uh, Goldfinger is one of my all-time favorite movies. And the Auric. villain, villain yep, is Auric, AU. So. Yep. Well, similar thing for here, because the chemical symbol for silver is A-G, ah, which okay. are the first two letters of Agnelli's last name. Uh-huh. So that's why there's a silver theme. Interesting. And so the spider was delivered to him in 1986, which is the same year that OutRun was released, as you just heard. So um, the way I like to describe OutRun is its pole position on steroids, if you will. I will. I have to say, I did, look, I did do a little research on OutRun, and um, Yu Suzuki said that uh, that uh, it's not a racing game; it's a driving game, driving simulator. Yes. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, and, and I I can see that because you're not really racing for position. You're not, but you're still racing against to get time. somewhere. You're racing against time. Yeah. And the same thing with pole position too. Really, you're racing against time in that too. I mean, yeah, you have competitors, but guess what? You have com- you technically do have competitors in outrun considering that it's based on the cannonball run Mm -hmm. true but hey that's true instead of competitors though you're dealing with just other everyday traffic on the field and uh there's some recognizable vehicles on um these roads that you're taking um from what my research tells me there are vehicles that at least resemble uh 1971 corvette 1972 vw bug Mm -hmm. Uh, 1985 Porsche Carrera 911 Turbo, and a 1985 BMW 325 ca- uh, 325i Cabriolet E30, and just some kind of truck. Uh, I w- wasn't able to determine if it was any kind of specific kind of truck or whatever else have you. And something interesting is one of the sources that Jimmy G and I use for our research is ArcadeHistory.com, and I saw a contradiction in there that I'd like to... Uh, I just I only realized today that I, that it's kind of like a wiki. You can go in and uh, submit and edit for it. But uh, the main body of the entry of of the entry for Outrun in uh, ArcadeHistory.com says that Outrun is the first arcade racing game to feature junctions in which you choose which direction to go, like forks in the road. But in the same entry, the introductory text explicitly states that it's not the first to do that and that the 1983 Tatsumi game TX1 was the first one to do that. So contradiction within the same entry. Hmm. So basically, I'm wondering if ArcadeHistory.com is necessarily any more reliable than, say, Wikipedia. But hey. Oh, TX1, it looks like, has an interesting history. It was, uh, as you were saying, developed by Tatsumi. It was licensed yeah. to Namco. Who in turn Which licensed, to a, licensed to Atari for le- release in the United States. And yeah. so it is considered a successor to Pole Position 2. Yeah. It Which was, I think, yeah. didn't we mention that in the Pole Position episode? I think we, we probably did. probably did. That sounds familiar. Yeah. So continue. But something that's uh, unique about uh, OutRun is that you actually have a companion in the car. You c- your driver of the car is a male driver, and the companion is a female front seat passenger. Then again, I don't know if a Ferrari actually has a back seat, but you have a female passenger with you. And also unique, and uh, in pole position, the, I remember like before OutRun, like the two big racing games in the arcade, there was Turbo and there was Pole Position. 
And I remember pole position was a huge deal because it was a lot more graphically um, realistic, I guess. And the camera angle actually showed you from behind the car so you could have more of a sense that you're actually moving. Uh, Outrun, the camera angle is a little bit higher than in pole position. It's kind of at the same level as the driver's eyes. So you kind of almost see what the road looks like to the driver. So there are some blind spots and things. So it's kind of an interesting perspective. Something else that was new in racing games, at least arcade racing games without run, is that there's a musical soundtrack and you can actually choose the tune as if it were playing out of your car stereo. I always thought that was a neat feature. It really was, even though I don't really like any of them. <laughs> but, uh, there's Magical Sound Shower, which kind of sounds a little bit salsa, if you will. Uh, there's Passing Breeze, which has kind of a Brazilian vibe. And then there's Splash Wave, and the best I can describe Splash Wave is it sounds extremely 80s. Uh, and there's also a fourth song, but it's not really selectable. It only happens at the end of the game, and it's called Last Wave. And all four of those tunes were composed by Hiroshi Kawaguchi. And he was part of Sega's official band called SST. And uh, that stands for Sega Sound Team. It was called the SST Band. And uh, Hiro Kawaguchi was usually Yu Suzuki's go-to guy to do music. It would be interesting. I wonder if uh, way back when, uh, during the classic era of arcade gaming, if uh, any like in-house development bands like that uh, actually did any work together outside of uh, outside of the company that would be interesting to find out actually i think this group is obvi- this group of uh, of musicians was obviously extremely talented i want to say there was a there was a similar thing with some kind of a, with a, an amiga game developer where there was a, an actual band and i think they did actually uh, were a standalone unit i'm not sure though but um Hey, I just, let's talk about more more about uh, the arcade outrun. Let's. Um, shall we? Um, and uh, one strategy you can use that I found. Um, I haven't tried this myself explicitly, but apparently there, the fastest route you can take is take a right at the first fork and go toward Devil's Canyon, and then the next fork you take a left to the Snowy Alps, and then another right to go into Wheatfield, and then an- another right for Autobahn. So. So Devil's Canyon to Snowy Alps to Wheatfield to Autobahn, there's your fastest route. And uh, there were some unused graphics in the game. There was a motorcycle programmed into the graphics, but it was never used. And uh, apparently it's not. there's not a complete set of graphics to make a full animation for that, so that's why it wasn't used. And there's also, um, if you win the game, essentially... You get a trophy. There's like a trophy ceremony, mm-hmm. and your girlfriend kisses you. There's an unused animation of your driver falling over, like I guess swooning after the girl kisses him. I have to say here, though, when you're talking about the end of the game, since you talked about it, I'm gonna jump put this in here. Uh, there's actually five endings of the game. Do tell. Uh, I only I put the the cheats on, and so I only saw three of them. Uh, because I didn't play all five to get to all five different endpoints. There are five different endpoints labeled A, B, C, D, E. Uh, one of them, I'm trying to remember here because it was a couple days ago. One of them, they uh, a bunch of people take you up in the air and throw you up, throw you up, and then they <laughs> they uh, see the girl come in who is bringing the trophy. They look at her and then they drop you. I can't remember what the other two I saw were, but that was the one I think if you the one I described is if you keep going all the way to the left. 
and I did the one if you go all the way to the right, and then uh, that would be E, and uh, I looked at the one for D. Um, I'll look on YouTube to see if there's a, uh, a video with all of the different endings. But yes, each ending is well, you different. you know there's got to be one. Each ending is indeed different, which I thought was neat. That is pretty neat. So, uh, <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, you're not. You're right. See? And, and by the way, the, uh, there's a similar Easter egg and outrun uh, to uh, what was in... Uh, oh, what the hell's the other game we talked about? Space Harrier. Basically, what happens is if you activate the Easter egg, you get a hidden message. And the message, it's nothing exciting, just a programmer credit. It says, Program U Suzuki 1986 SEP. And there are two different ways to activate the message depending on which ROM revision you have. Um, if you're playing revision A, then what you do is you hit the start button just before you reach any checkpoint. And before the sky starts to transition to the color indicator for the next level, if you will. Um, revision B, what you'd have to do is reach the high score table at the end of the game and then enter YU period as your initials. And then the next game that you play, hold the start button while you're transitioning between stages two and three. And then the message will pop up if oh, you interesting. If, if you actually uh execute that properly um and revision b by the way you can only do that once unless you say reset the game power it back off and power it on for example and oh also there's an unused route in the game and it's uh coconut beach and it was made just for the prototype version of outrun I don't know if you can activate that on the actual arcade cabinet, but you can use MAME to activate it. Uh, there's a debugger in MAME, and there's a special command you have to type. It's too uh, verbose for me to um, tell you audioly what the command is, so I'll just put a link to um, the information in the show notes. There. Oh, by the way, speaking of arcade cabinets, there are two different cabinets. There's a standard upright and... Um, it's similar to pole position in that you have a steering wheel, a gear shift for low versus high, and an accelerator pedal. You also have a brake pedal, by the way, which I never, ever, ever use, by the way. And from I, what I understand, I it's really use, not a good idea to use it. I never use brake pedals on any driving games, I've noticed. Yeah, I don't know anybody who does. Yeah, that's but, just, um, maybe that's why it scores so low. <laughs> could be, could be. But um, there's also a sit-down cabinet that loosely resembles your almost Ferrari. And uh, that's a cool-looking little thing. I've never actually seen one in person, but it looks pretty damn cool. Did Outrun have a uh, one of the hydraulics cabinets that Space Harrier had? I think it. I think that's what it was. I don't remember. Huh. I, I don't remember. You know what? Let me check. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay. It had a hydraulic. I was wondering if it did. Yeah, it has a hydraulic cabinet. And it actually, it doesn't really quite resemble the Ferrari. It does. It, it actually looks more like a Zamboni, now that I think about it. But, <laughs> but hey, it's red, Ooh, and it has wheels on there's it. There's a game for you, Zamboni Racing. Hmm. We'll talk about that in the next episode, then. I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, and something I, I that I totally forgot about until I saw this mentioned when I was doing my research MTV used a crash scene from OutRun in a PSA about drunk driving. Do you remember seeing that? Not really, but to be I fair, absolutely I absolutely remember that. To be fair, I never really watched much MTV. 
I watched it for remote control because by the time we actually got MTV, that's when videos started to suck. But um, but yeah, I absolutely remember watching, remember seeing that. It might have even it might have even been aired during Beavis and Butthead for all I know. But um, yeah, I remember that. And, and yeah, that's that's interesting. Something else that I forgot to mention here is that um, those of you who aren't familiar with Outrun, when you crash, your car does not actually. Sus- oh, you know what? Here we go. We have to open up video game physics. This is time for another edition of video game physics. In today's edition of video game physics, we examine the properties of a Ferrari Testarossa Spider which apparently is so robust that you can crash it, you can flip it, you can drive it through bushes and through concrete um, Stonehenge-like thingies, and it doesn't sustain any damage. Why are there not more cars like that? It's because of physics. It's because of video game physics, I suppose. But I do love the crash scenes because you, you know, the car flips up in the air and both you and the girlfriend like end up on the ground kind of sitting up wondering what the hell just happened. Which tells me that they weren't wearing safety belts, but still they su- somehow survive unscathed. Your car doesn't sustain any damage, but it does take a few seconds off your timer because you got to reset and start from wherever you crashed. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think I've ever made it to a checkpoint after crashing. I don't think I ever did. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. possible, but I never did. I want to think I've done it, but... It's rare. Yeah, and really the thing is like I think if you know how the how the course goes, you can do it. The key really that I think to getting a high score in this game is just learning the course and knowing exactly when the curves come up and just being very careful and dodging other traffic and such. So that's a, a skill right there. Oh, by the way, by the way, um, I should talk about um, some recognition that Outrun got from the Golden Joystick Awards, also known as People's Gaming Awards, yes. as voted by the British general public. It won Best Arcade Type Game of the Year and Game of the Year in 1987. And by the way, Space Harrier was a runner up for Game of the Year the previous year. Oh. So uh, looks like finally. Yu Suzuki hit the big time with OutRun. There was an arcade sequel of OutRun called Turbo OutRun, which was a cross-country New York to Los Angeles driving simulator in which you're driving a Ferrari F40, and it includes a turbo power-up that you can activate once in a while. I actually loved Turbo OutRun very much, uh, to the point where if I saw OutRun in an arcade but not Turbo OutRun, I'd be very disappointed, (laughs) and I'd be like... Oh, there was another and, uh, uh, arcade sequel. Do tell. It's called Outrunners. Wasn't that only released in Japan, though? Yeah, uh, I think it was only released in. Well, hold on. Uh, developed by Sega and AM1, released in Japan, Europe, and North America in '92, and it was ported to huh. the Mega Drive in '94. So apparently, it was released in the arcade in the U.S. Why do I not know about that? I don't know. And I do want to make mention of one other, uh, well, two other sequels. Um, well, one other. Uh, I will mention a one of the other sequels uh, a little bit later after we reveal the theme. Um, but there is a sequel uh, also to OutRun on the Sega Master System called OutRun Europa. Game consoles and computers have a lot of sequels. Yeah, um, but the reason uh, I want to bring this one up because... It's uh, closer to a Spy Hunter sequel because huh. you are given weapons and sometimes you can get on a motorcycle and sometimes you can get on a jet ski. And I've played it a little bit 
and it's, it's, I don't know, it just didn't grab me, I guess, so, but yes, Outrun Europa on the Sega Master System, so, not, hmm. not one of my favorite games. Oh, wow, and Outrunners, I, I just looked up uh, Outrunners on Arcade.com, uh-huh. it's in weird places, like, uh, it's in uh, Game Preserve in Spring, Texas, Great Escape Theater, a cinema in Pensdale, Pennsylvania, there's a laundromat in Smyrna, Tennessee that has it. The cl- in fact, yeah, the closest places to here that have it are in uh, Flint, Michigan at Playland Park Family Center and Soap Opera Laundry in Smyrna, Tennessee. And let's see, there's also a place in Denmark, Spielmusset, uh, um, for lack of better pronunciation, uh, Tet Aleph Games in Ashdod, Israel, and Tosses in Holon, Israel have, have it, so... But we don't have it. Oh, Doc, come on. Get with the program. Make number 614 Outrunners. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I, I don't know. I'm just being an ass. Okay. Yeah. As per normal. But yeah. And uh, by the way, I talked about, I said how there are like a lot of sequels on the um, home versions. Uh, there are home versions of Outrun, of course. Sega Master System, you just talked about. Amiga had it. Amiga also had Turbo Outrun, but I never got to play the, the Amiga Turbo Outrun, unfortunately. I don't think Outrun was on the Genesis. Yes, it was. Oh, it was it? Okay, I don't yes, remember it was. that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it was on the ZX Spectrum, um, the PC, Commodore 64, interestingly. I didn't think it could handle that. Now, uh, when I found out that Space Harrier was on the Nintendo Entertainment System, I was wondering if there was a version of OutRun for the NES, but I could not find uh, any uh, instance of one. Yeah, neither could I. I couldn't find any uh, instance of it. Uh, Atari ST had it. Of course. And the Amstrad CPC had it, but that version got terrible reviews. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, Jimmy G, uh, where did you first see and or play OutRun? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. Very interesting indeed. It was the Louis Juliet Mall, Aladdin's Castle. That is pretty damn interesting, because that's also where I first saw and played it. No. Yeah, I always mentioned the Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall. Well, by 1986, we had moved to Joliet, which had two malls at the time. So I seldom had been to Lincoln Mall since then, and now I can no longer go back because it no longer exists. Sadly. Yeah. Oh, man, there's there's some urban exploration videos and pictures on oh, the internet. Oh, I but anyway. saw one recently. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, anyway. all I can say is thank God yeah. that the mall had severely changed since I last saw it because I would have been so sad if it were, if it had the slightest resemblance yeah. to when, no, I, I you totally know. get what you're saying there. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there because here is Chicago. There is Morris and Lincoln mall is Matson. But, um, but yeah, and I, I did play it quite frequently at the, at the Louis Juliet mall and uh, kind of alternating between that and uh, their semi turbo Ms. Pac-Man over there. So high scores I should talk about. Uh, Orcade.com has Martin Bedard, who I believe is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He scored 54,936,010 at Galloping Ghost on September 20th, 2014, which, if you haven't been paying attention, is the 28th anniversary of the release of OutRun. Twin Galaxies has Richard Jackson, Scoring 52,897,690 verified February 21st, 1987. So going back shortly after that game was released. As for me, my highest score is 2,751,780 scored on 
September 17th, 2017 at the Underground Retrocade. How about we rate OutRun? Jimmy G, how would you rate OutRun? Well, back then, I would play it. I was never really a huge a huge fan of it, but uh, this game has some amazing visuals. I mean, absolutely amazing. And I would say it's probably based on similar hardware to Space Harrier, but... It has the exact same CPU set Okay. But this game is, I think, does more with the hardware than Space Harrier ever could. That's a shame because Space Harrier was, you know, had, uh, you know, without a sort of earthbound theme, as it were, they can do a lot more than what they did with it. But this game has some amazing visuals. In fact, every time I play this, I always go to the left at the first junction because the next scene, you have these. Um, I don't know, I guess, even though they're not the shape of an arch, but I'll just use the word arches, going over the road. Yeah, they look kind of like Stonehenge. Yeah, and that is just one of the most amazing visuals. And I just... Oh, I both love and hate those things. I, I, I just love it. I just th- think they're awesome. And um, so I always go By to the By the way, left. a little hint, at least from my experience, you absolutely cannot go full speed through that part. Yeah, I you kind absolutely of will crash that myself actually, but uh, but I mean this has got some amazing visuals. The sound and the music is is about the same as uh, as Space Harrier, but um, overall this is a much better game. And like I said way back when, I didn't really think much about it, didn't really play it a lot. But correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first game? that actually introduced hills into the racing formula? You know, I don't know. I can't think of any other ones that did that. And that is really... The only possible one I could think of that might do that, might have done that, was TX1. But I don't think that did that. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know, but... I know for um, a fact that it's the first game I've ever seen hills in a racing game. It could be. And the thing is, like, the camera perspective that I talked about earlier, that really comes into effect when you have hills. Yeah, and that, was, really a, that was a great effect. After that, I mean, the sky was the limit for driving games. I think that was really the last barrier that they had to, they had to cross to make, uh, to make, the, uh, make driving games more realistic. And uh, it really succeeded at that. This is, Outrun is really a groundbreaking game. But like I said, I was never really a huge fan of it back then, but I'm playing it lately. I'm playing some of the ports, and um, I'm actually growing fond of the game uh, more than I did was back then. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to rate this game a four. Wow. Pretty strong words there. You know, when we chose this game, I was expecting to just play a couple of rounds and be done with it and say, okay, whatever, I played it, now I can talk about it. And I was having a lot more fun than I ever remember having uh, playing OutRun. Because, again, Turbo OutRun, I always loved. Mm -hmm. And I always felt, okay, Turbo OutRun. It's kind of like how when Millipede came out, I had a really hard time going back to Centipede because Millipede had so much more action and Mm -hmm. more enemies and things and more strategies but it turns out i'm addicted to centipede now and i'm thinking that i'm finding the same thing with outrun versus turbo outrun i was absolutely loving turbo outrun i highly enjoy it it is an amazing game i have one complaint about it oh and that's simply the high score screen the the, the high score table because you use the steering wheel 
to put your initials in there, and it is so easy to make a mistake. This, or, all right, Outrun is what I call a DBQ game. You know why I call it that? No. Because that is likely how my initials will show up. Uh-huh. DBQ instead of DBR, which is what I usually put. Because I always miss it by just one. Just one. Oh, dude, speaking of uh, high score screens, uh, you probably saw Doc's announcement that he uh, replaced the joystick on Food Fight. Yes, at I Galloping saw that. Ghost. Yes. Yeah, it now has the proper joystick. It turns out I play much better with the wrong joystick. There was something always a little wonky about the, the joystick on the uh, the Galloping Ghost machine, however. Yeah. Because that was a DBQ game for me, for sure. The only, th- the only thing I was better at with Food Fight with the proper joystick is entering my initials. It's, uh, it's no longer DBQ, it's DBR. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, but the thing is, like, the only complaint I have about OutRun, the only complaint is the initials. Um, and the cool thing is, like, this isn't even a continue game necessarily because how far you go depends on whether or not you reach your the checkpoint in time. Checkpoint, right. And so it, that just adds to the appeal. There are so many opportunities to try to like suck more quarters on, and tokens out of your pocket. But no, you know, I, I just can't give it any less than a five. It's getting a five. Wow. For me, five continues. I was hoping you would rate it a five because that means our scores for today are two, three, four, and five. Ooh. Yeah. So it's basically just to satisfy your OCD. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. No, actually, it's to <sighs> satisfy my OCR because I am using optical character recognition software. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes it a little bit easier. Yes, it does. Hey, um, do we have anything else we should say about OutRun itself? Um, I don't think so. Uh, not itself, but uh, I do have a little bit more to say, but that ties in with the theme of today's show. Which is what? These are games, uh, these are Sega arcade games that had 3D translations on the Sega Master System. Oh. And when I say 3D translations, uh, the Sega Master Hat System had these really cool LCD 3D glasses. You actually had to plug them into the Sega Master System. It would only work with the Sega Master System 1 because the Sega Master System 1 had a card slot, which uh, Master System was one of the first consoles to actually have games on a card. And the adapter for it slid into that, and then it would uh, use the LCD to, like, shut each lens off uh, real quick in kind of alternating fashion. And uh-huh. they made a 3D version of OutRun and a 3D version of Space Harrier for the Master System. Now, a little bit about, uh, let's, uh, I'll do them in the order which we talked about the games. Uh, Space Harrier, it was also, the 3D version was included on the Sega Ages 2500 Volume 20 Space Harrier Complete Collection for the PlayStation 2 in 2005. But since, you know, the Sega 3D glasses, they're actually called the Sega Scope 3D glasses, not to be confused with the Sega Scope light gun for the uh, Sega Genesis. Um, but as the original 3D glasses weren't compatible with the PS2, um, they were compatible with the, you know, the typical red, blue, whatever paper glasses, I guess, as it were. You can play Space Harrier 3D on the Master System in 2D mode. How it's a little, however, it's a little convoluted to do that. You had to complete the game with a score that qualifies for the high score table. So you had to play it in 3D mode, get on the high score table, which really just in, entails getting to the the first boss. I found out because I actually did this, and then using controller two on the high score screen, enter the word three T H R E E. Now, the letters won't show up, but uh, if you do that, 
it will allow you to select between 3D mode and 2D mode. And quite frankly, I think I kind of like the first Space Harrier better. But uh, that's just me. Now, on to OutRun. There was a, a, a difference between the arcade game and uh, OutRun 3D on the Master System in that they replaced some of the uh, the songs. They removed Passing Breeze and Splash Wave and replaced and added three other songs called Midnight High- Highway, Color Ocean, and Shining Wind. And um, Color Ocean replaced the frequency for Passing Breeze on the radio in the game, which is 74.6, and Shining Wind replaced its splash wave, which was 80.3. Hey, uh, something that uh, I was just thinking of. If we hear of Sega deciding to do another sequel, do you think we should submit the Happy L for consideration? Oh, that's a given. That's why I didn't bring it up. I thought we were going oh. to do that anyway. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. And there is, uh, you can actually play OutRun 3D in 2D mode on the uh, Sega Master System if you don't have the glasses, which I find uh, like two-thirds, three-quarters of the 3D-specific games of the Master System you can play in 2D mode. But this one is is actually easy. You just put the game in the machine and press the pause button, and then a menu will come up that will allow you to select 3D or 2D, and if you're Sega Master System, and I brought this up, I believe, in the Rampage episode, maybe also in the Paperboy one, that uh, the uh, the Japanese Master Systems actually had F- an FM sound chip. So if you are playing OutRun 3D and you have uh, access to FM sound, by pressing the pause button, not only can you select 3D or 2D, but you can also select the FM sound, or what they call PSG sound, is what which we got here in the States. Uh, and just as a little side note, some other uh, Sega Master System 3D games. The, they didn't have a whole lot of them, but they had enough to make it worthwhile. They had uh, a game called Blade Eagle 3D, which is a shooter. Maze Hunter 3D, which is sort of a top-down 3D version of Gauntlet, and it's actually kind of a fun game. Uh, Missile Defense 3D, which is uh, uses the light gun, which is one of the best 3D games I've ever played in my life. As I said, Outrun 3D, Space Harrier 3D, Poseidon Wars 3D, which to me seems to be inspired by the arcade game Subrock 3D, uh, Zaxxon 3D, which I believe I talked about that one. You you know hit the pause button and you can select between 2D or 3D mode, and it's a first person or third person's perspective again. You know, it's not the isometric because I don't know if you really could do that with the 3D glasses. And this is an interesting one. Uh, it's a game called Line of Fire, which I believe was not in the United States. I think that was a Europe only one. But this was actually 2D by default. However, if you had the 3D glasses, you could hit the pause button and select 3D. So that was kind of weird <laughs> with that one. And that is the complete 3D lineup for the Sega Master System. So. They're awesome glasses, and I'm, as tax time rolls around, I'm going to look for another set. And apparently they're not that terrible expensive from what I was looking at earlier in the year. And um, if you can find only like the uh, uh, the module that plugs into the Master System, there's a, actually a generic brand of LCD uh, 3D glasses that will work with that. So that's another route you can go. The, I guess the 3D glasses were notorious for having the arms break off. I never uh, experienced that myself, and it was a tight fit because of the fact that I wear glasses. All right, didn't we talk about the theme like half an hour ago? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm just about done. So but, shouldn't uh, we be? Yeah, no, but I was um, say. but yeah, so I just wanted to give a little info on the 3D system for the Master System. I know it's not a Master System thing, but eh, throw some info out there. Why not? So I am done with that. And if we want a secondary theme, it could be arcade games that I actually can get a seven-digit score 
and with just one credit. tertiary theme, they're Yu Suzuki games. They're Yu Suzuki games. Yep. And quartertiary theme with music by Hiro Kawaguchi. There we go. That's it for OutRun, and we have our theme. And um, let's see. We should probably um, thank some people. Let's so do I that. would like to do that right now. First off, thanks to Steve Tui for your support. And uh, Tuiville.com, you can check out his shows, T O U H Y V I L L E.com. And thank you to our space. Thank you to our Patreon sponsors, Michael D'Angelo, Nate Lockhart, Art Guglielmo, Greg Polander, thank you very much, Rory Charles Coleman, thank you for your support, Richard Valdez, ditto, Keith Sheehan, thanks so much, Underground Retrocade, thank you, and mahalo to Jonas Rulo, and thank you to Kyle Etter, thanks everybody, and uh, hey, let's tell the uh, peeps the games games about which we're going to be talking for episode 64. Certainly. That would be Lock and Chase oh. and Thief. Thief? Thief. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lock and Chase and Thief. Okay, so, uh, hey, uh, so this is episode 63, which is done, which means that next episode will be 64, starring Sean from Chicago. And Jim from Morris, or actually, uh, Waponsi Township. Waponsi Township. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, uh, talk to you again real, real soon. Pastafarian. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Oh, dude, we could do a, an Aerosmith R.E.M. mashup. Oh? Didn't Aerosmith have an album called Pump? Oh, they did. Oh, yes, they did. Pump and the Monster. Oh, man, we should get together with Andy about that. He's good mm. with uh We got to find a song from each album that would, uh, that would uh, do a good mashup. And now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. Yeah, I actually, I actually did uh, listen to the first episode. Uh, uh, excuse me. Ooh, that would be a good podcast. It would be, yeah. The Gas Hour. Sponsored by Line and Kugel's Grapefruit Shandy, a brewing legend since 1867.